0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series, and now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. Good morning. Good to see you. Last week, uh, we started a vulnerable subject of sin, and uh, we're going to conclude that today, Missing the Mark. We learned about how we can be off target with serving ourselves, and how we get caught, we looked at the character of uh, what it means to uh, serve ourselves, and actually ends up being turning our backs completely on God to serve and pursue what we want to do, and we have to turn around and go back. That's what we learned about missing the mark, and then today, we're going to talk about a little more vulnerable area of that called escaping snares, namely addictions. That's probably where we're most susceptible where we get into a habit or we try to find something that compensates for the rigor of life and we get hooked into it. We get snared into it. And it's really unbeknownst to us until after some of the damage is done that we get caught. So we're going to talk a little bit about this and we've got wider seats now. You can squirm a little bit more than you used to. (laughs) But that's the nature of God's word. It does that to me as well. I think for a good reason. It's Makes us into the character that that God desires of us. So we have to talk about this. This resource certainly does do that. Most of you know, and I always talk about how I was negligent in high school because um, I, I was just interested in other things. I mean, there's uh, there's so much going on outside the classroom that uh, you know you want you want to be able to see what's going on in the world. If you've got this spontaneous nature like I do. And, Looking at numbers and figuring out how sentences go together and stuff, you know, it's kind of boring because there's the rest of life to go go through. But there was one class that I did enjoy in high school my sophomore year, and that was biology class. It wasn't like English. It wasn't like math. It wasn't like in history. Oh, man, history, you know. But it had things. There were things in biology class. You walk in, and there's a lab there, and there's little sinks and little Bunsen burners we used to play with. Uh, all the other things, little critters are in there, plants, stuff like that. You learn about chemicals. You learn about creatures. You learn about plants. You learn how the plants give off uh, carbon, carbon, the other way, uh, the oxygen, back and forth so we can live. You can actually live in a place where there's plants and stuff. They've done it before with these experiments. But what's really cool is that you learn that certain things go a certain way, but what really intrigues me are things every once in a while that kind of fall out of the boundaries of, of what? seems to be conventional, like the platypus. You know, people can't figure out what the platypus is. But there, there was one plant that I realized, is, you know, a- animals will either eat plants or they'll eat other critters, either carnivorous or herbivore. And and But there was one little peculiarity about a plant that you've probably seen before called the Venus flytrap. That was the coolest thing I ever saw. They had one in there. And I thought, you know, I saw a film of how this thing It's it's praying. So so, just imagine, if you will, just for a second, a little cute little beetle crawling up the stem of a plant, (laughs) looking for water, just going about its daily existence. And it smells something sweet inside this leaf, and goes in there to drink some water. And all of a sudden, it trips something, (laughs) and the bug is snared. It's a cute little bug, but it's being eaten up by that plant. It's amazing to me. I, want, I thought, I, saw, I want to get one of those. I want to get one of those plants. Just like so we have one at home. My wife got one. I just sit there waiting for a fly to land in it. What a cool plant that thing is. You know, it becomes a little stomach and the enzymes go in there. Well, the thing about that plant, I think, is, uh, can illustrate for us the snare. The prey is caught. It goes into something thinking everything is okay, and it gets caught. We can do that. We ourselves can do that in the area of sin. We can be snared. We learned last week that the very first characterization of sin has to do with what Cain did to Abel. And God says that it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting to take a hold of you. It desires to have you, to snare you. And that's what addictions are. We don't realize that. We walk into these things. Now, we have a lot of examples in the Bible, and in the Old Testament, we have a guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon provides for us a negative example. He learned a lot of things, and he looked back on those things and realized that they snared him, that they, they grabbed him. He didn't know ahead of time. And so he offers in, in the Bible, a lot, through a lot of writings, advice. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to page 648, and I want to read through most of, of Proverbs 23. Most of Proverbs 23, which is sort of a symbolic uh, way that, that, uh, that uh, Solomon is teaching. Now, Solomon never took any writing courses. I want you to know that. And he never took any homiletics courses on how to speak. He just kind of goes through a hodgepodge of things. So you'll see that as you hear these words. these kind of like these rabbit trails, but are things that he learned. Proverbs 23. He says, when you sit to dine with a ruler, note well. What is before you? He hadn't done that before. And put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Uh, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Verse 10, do not move an ancient boundary stone or encroach on the fields of the fatherless. For their defender is strong. He will take up their case against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. We were talking about that last week where we had these conflicting wants. He learned that. Verse 18, there is surely a future and hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth, buy the truth, and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. Solomon gets a little personal. My son, give me your heart and let my let, let your heart keep your eyes keep my way to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit she lies in wait and multiplies the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger or hang out literally over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites you like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? There's a lot here. There's so much here that Solomon went through, was able to see, was able to learn from the hard way. And he's got so much instruction on how we can escape snares, addictions, how they snare us from our lack of discernment. He didn't have discernment. He learned the hard way. Last week, we were putting sin under a microscope and we probed it and we saw that it's missing the mark. It's lapsing. It's serving ourselves. It's turning our back. We had this conflict of wants. As followers, we want to serve God. We want to serve God, but we want to do what we want as well. And it happens all the time for us. And we, the more we get into these things, the more they snare us and take us that direction. There's so much abundance that we have today in our culture. If you compare that to the conflict of wants, we become very easily distracted and very easily snared. And Solomon knew about this because he inherited a bunch of stuff. In the story about Solomon right prior to him was David. David did all the work. David fought all the battles. David built all the buildings. And his son gets all the inheritance. And he has these palaces, and he has these women, and he has all the food and stuff. And he realized it's not so great once you have to look back. He knew about these things. There was so much during his life. And he learned the more we have available to us, the more likely it is that we can get, like that little bug, hit these triggers and get snared and caught and become a victim or prey. What can we learn from Solomon? Well, we need to learn this today, especially in our country, because we have so much. First of all, we need to recognize that abundance can snare us. There's just so much, especially as Americans. Sometimes it takes a trip to another country to realize that when you come back. It's a sobering thing to realize how much is out there. We've got so much, and abundance can snare us. The first thing he says in in verse one is when you sit down to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. Observe discern, detect. There may be something on the other end of this stuff. We just go ahead and we don't realize, we don't note well. We need to observe that. We need to see that abundance can snare us. God provides negative examples like Solomon. He also provides positive examples of people that were able to have that kind of wisdom. One of them is in the story of Joseph. Maybe some of you know the story of Joseph. He likewise had a lot of things that he inherited. He wasn't seeking out power or prestige. He was just given it because Pharaoh in Genesis was looking for a discerning wise man in Egypt. And Joseph happened to be down there. It wasn't even one of the nationals there. He found him because and he put him in charge of a lot of things because he had discernment. He was able to note well what was before him. And there's plenty before us. We, we see in Joseph noted that it was before him. And he understands what's on the other side of it in the story of Joseph. Solomon often looked back with puffy eyes and scratched up face and thought, I'm not going to do that again. He saw it afterwards. A lot of us learn that way. But Joseph maybe observed others and noted well what was before him, seeing beyond it because other people didn't see beyond. He was able to do that. He understood the snaring, the addiction that some people can have. And being prey our country is a smorgasbord. We have stuff stockpiled. We are consumer crazed. And I don't think we really, honestly, and I, can, I include myself in that, note well what is before us. Joseph did. There was a time where it looked like he could benefit himself. He foresaw famine coming. Joseph foresaw famine coming. He does a lot of planning to be able to store up crops and stuff. It wasn't for him. other people benefited from that insight. So he was a good example of understanding that abundance can have that. He exercised a discipline called restraint. And that's what we need to do. We need to exercise restraint. We need to exercise restraint. There's abundance, and we ourselves need to understand that on the other side of abundance, there are a lot of things that can make us pray. We need to exercise restraint. Solomon does that several times. Proverbs 23, 2, he says, put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Or in verse 20, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. They look like they're having a great time. It looks fun. But he understands that there's something on the other side of that. In verses 26 and 27, he said, let your eyes keep to my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit. There's so much out there. You know today, we have so many things available to us that bring about pleasure and joy, whether it's food or drink or sex or any of those things. Our culture offers all these things. Now, the last one I mentioned, Joseph also had an opportunity in that. And this is how, as an example, he exercised restraint. Joseph is characterized in the Old Testament as a guy that was well-built and was very attractive. And there was one point in his life where he was put in charge of a man named Potiphar, his house and his household goods and all that he had before him. And Potiphar had a wife that was interested in Joseph. And in this story, it's R-rated, but God's word is real and authentic. She comes to him, she says, come to bed with me. And Joseph could have easily done that. He had the opportunity to do that, but he didn't. It's almost like today's version of what's on the internet, what's so much available. Anything you do, there is that sex and stuff available out there for anything. I, I recently, about two or three months ago, opened a MySpace account because I, there are some friends of, Christian friends of mine that are using that to witness to other people because it's, it's a platform where other people outside of the church come in and they have an opportunity to connect and share the good news. So I open a MySpace account, and every once in a while in my email, I get something like, Stormy wants to be your friend. And like, well, who's Stormy? Whoa. I don't think I have to can be friends with Stormy or Candy or whoever. There's all those opportunities all the time in this country, and you have to exercise restraint. My brother, Rob D. Simone, who's, who's a member of our church here, and he's he heads up the 12-step uh, program here. He shared a couple weeks ago. I hope you were here to hear him. And the thing that Rob was sharing, well, he was talking about self-control because we were talking about through to the spirit at that time. And something he said was very important. It is not limited to the no-brainer like alcohol. It's not limited to that. Oh, yeah, the, it is a no-brainer. It's a biggie. It's a major one that a lot of people struggle with. In fact, last month there was a study that says one-third of America struggles with it. And so if we look at this room today, that would be you, or that would be you, or that would be you. There's a guarantee that there's at least one person in here that struggles with it. You may even be hungover this morning. That's a guarantee in this country. But that's the no-brainer. There are other things as well that we lose sight of. We have all kinds of poster children for the alcohol thing, Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie and Lindsay Lohan. and They always start out as these kid actors. Don't do that. If you're going to be a kid actor, don't do that. Or Mel Gibson or David Hasselhoff. And we've got all kinds of poster children for that. But that is not what we should be distracted with because we can easily throw off the vulnerability of ourselves. Lust in all its form is part of the problem. If it's gluttony or if it's desire or if it's prestige or anything that is a major form of being snared, there's so much that we can be snared by. So if we looked to others, we actually do ourselves a disservice of not understanding where we can be hooked. I've shared this before, but I want to share it again. I remember before I came back into the ministry, uh, I was with the corporate world. I shared that last week and I've shared it before as well. And there are all kinds of opportunities there. They, they don't really help you restrain yourself in the corporate world. Well, we had a major sales meeting in Las Vegas. Now, there's a city. I'd never been to Las Vegas before. It's not like any other city. They advertise it like what happens here stays here. And it's true. There are so many opportunities in a city to do what you want to when you want to. So these bunch of guys said, let's go to dinner. So we go to dinner. We get in the hotel van, we go to dinner, and they got big thick steaks like that, and they got all kinds of drinks and stuff, and we're eating, we're drinking, and even afterwards a few guys got cigars, you know, just to puff on these cigars, just to indulge. And I thought, wow, this is a lot. But one guy said, hey, let's go to such and such, and I went, hey, it's it's 1240, it's past my bedtime, and I'd had too much to eat, and I had too much to drink. I thought, they wanted to go to a men's club. And I thought, I better not do that. But I wanted to inside because it looked fun. These guys were having a good time, and everyone around me in the whole city was having a good time. So I, on, when we're in the hotel van going to this place, I said to the driver, could you do me a favor? Can we stop by Ballet's? This is where we were staying. I, I don't want to go. I'm so glad I said that. When I stepped out of the van and walked toward the hotel door, I heard shuffling behind me. I saw three other guys getting out of the van. I'm tired too. I want to go. Sleep, I wanted to. I had that battle. I was talking. We were talking about it last week. I wanted to. I know I want to serve God. I want to serve God, but I wanted to do this as well. And I'm glad I didn't. There was some restraint that God had given me the power, and God was. Uh, Rob was talking about that last week. I almost did. It is the power of God's Spirit that gave me that self-control through restraint. I could actually see on the other side of it, the so-called pleasures. And then I realized that the next day when I saw these other guys that went there coming back, they had no way to function at all during the day, the next day. They were wasted the whole day. Let's parse and probe what can snare us. The biggies are no-brainers. Alcohol, sex, drugs, those are no-brainers, but there's no hierarchy. I guarantee you there's no hierarchy when it comes to missing the mark. How do we find out, though? How do we discover that? It's pretty confrontational. How do we realize where we're snared and caught? Sometimes we don't. Only you know what it is that you do on a regular basis to fight off frustration or brokenness that can take a hold of you already is. What is it that you do? You know that question. What is it you do that compensates for the rigor of this life on a continual basis by yourself without anyone else's involvement? And you can test yourself. This has worked for me. Is there any regular habit that you have? Is there any repeating pattern or behavior? You may not think it's a problem. Can you stop doing it for 30 days? I'm not talking about the basics. Can you stop doing it for 30 days? If you it can't, it's likely you're snared. I'm not talking about basic needs. We can count those on one hand. They're just the basic needs. Uh, Paul, it's not on your outline, but Paul says in First Timothy, we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. All we need is food and clothing. That's all we really need. We're good. Is there something beyond that that you depend on that you can't do without? Oh, there are the biggies. There is alcohol. There are drugs, both illegal and prescription. There's sex, all kinds of forms of sex, pornography, premarital sex, same sex, all those things that serve yourself and no one else. It was interesting. I saw recent headlines. I wrote this down. Texas researchers released exhaustive study of 237 reasons why people have sex, lust, Tops love on the list. Duh. Lust tops love. But there are other things. There's overeating. There's tobacco. I'm going to meddle here. There's video games. There's TV. There's caffeine. There's working too much. Kind of rewind back to video games. Really wasn't a big fan of video games because I don't know how to do it. My thumbs just don't work that thing. I see how people do that. But recently, I was on vacation, and my nephew bought a Wii, W-I-I. That was cool. Put that thing on your wrist. How many of you have seen that thing? You can play tennis. You can bowl. You can do all these active things. That hooked us. We were doing that thing every night, and Nintendo, I think, is the one that makes it. They do a real token thing every once in a while. They put it on the screen, time to take a break. <laughs> oh, nice try. Like Philip Morris telling you not to smoke. Just, no, we're not gonna take a break. We're gonna keep playing tennis. But you know, that was fun, but I can see and I have seen how that goes into something that compensates and somebody is gone for a long time on a regular basis, where they're not part of your family or whatever. They're hooked. We're hooked. There's just so much of an abundance. We need to exercise restraint. And if I, ho- I hope I've hit you somehow today. And if I haven't, you have a nasty habit of self-righteousness. <laughs> you better cut that out right now. Everybody here is hooked. Everybody here is snared. You got food. You got clothing. That's all you need. There's something you do to compensate for the rigor of life on a, on, a, on a regular basis where nobody else is involved. You need help. We all need help. I've got the problem. You've got the problem. That's an indicator. There's another indicator as well. It comes from other people. Every once in a while, I'll do something where just my wife will kind of cock her head and like, you know, what's wrong with you? That's just her. I can always defend myself. But there are times every once in a while where I do something, three or four people look at me and cock their head like, what's wrong with you? And I go, what? But that is a silent intervention. They have a perspective that you don't have. And you better listen to it. And I better listen to it. It's a silent intervention. You know what intervention is. They even made a TV show out of it. Where people say, it's okay, I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, yes, you are. You're hurting yourself. You're falling down. You're hurting us seeing what's going on. That's what's needed. How do you gain light on these things? How are you able to figure out what it is? We need to be able to see what it is that keeps us in destructive pattern that should not be going unnoticed. We need the strength of others. There's a reason we have each other. God designed it that way. We need the strength of others. We need to learn from those who have learned themselves or learned because they've been burned and they look back. We need to see ourselves through others. We have a Bible-based 12-steps program here. It's a family. And when I talk to people of, of, among that, that group, I, I agree with them. Everybody needs a recovery program or a group where they can be a family and trust each other and listen to each other. It's not they. It's us. And I'm appreciative of that. I think we need to as well continue in our small groups, in our lay counseling, in our personal accountability partners. You see, God's truth and power are often rooted through others. This is what Solomon says in Proverbs 23, 22 through 24. He says, listen to your father who gave you life. he has been through the rigor. Don't despise your mother when she is old. She's been through the rigor. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. You see, this assumes a, a, a trusty relationship with those who've been through the significant place in life. I know the real world, I know the culture. Not everyone has that father or that mother. But Solomon uses that because most often parents, not always, they're the one example of God's standard of, of his design. Others who've gone before you. The emphasis is on the acquisition of truth, the acquisition of of truth and wisdom and discipline and understanding. And quite often the insight comes from others who've learned the hard way. That's why Solomon writes these things. He's learned it the hard way. He had the scratches and he had the puffy eyes and the experience of thinking he was on top of a rig. That's why sometimes parents don't let their kids do things. Because they've been through those things. You know, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do understand. That's why you're not going to Lake Havasu for spring break. Because I've been there and I know what happens. Or Fort Lauderdale. I do understand. Listen to me. That's where the insight comes from others who've learned the hard way. We need to listen to others. And quite often, they have a better insight on truth about who you are than you yourself do not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way. Remember last week we are talking about the Pharisees' response to something Jesus said. We're talking about everyone, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, there's a statement that Jesus made before that that rings true today, and I think we need to hear that as well, which comes from John 8, 32. It says this, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, what is it that cliche that we often say about the effects of truth. We say, truth what? It hurts, right? Have we said that? Truth hurts. Of course, we always say it towards somebody else. We want them to realize the truth. Truth hurts. Doesn't it? Well, we need to hear that for ourselves. We need to hear Jack Nicholson's voice. You can't handle the truth. We can sometimes. But we need to be able to handle those things. And to understand those things, the abundance part, and not having restraint, and learning from others, the strength of others. Uh, Paul says that in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, it was designed this way. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up, will mature and to him who is the head, that is Christ, his character. Remember, that's the target we learned last week. Grow up into Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That is what we need, each other, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We need each other for that purpose. The last thing of all is obvious. You need to surrender to God's power. That's what we get from others is God's power. That's what we draw on ourselves if we're instrumental in someone intervening for someone helping them and loving them. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, verses 12 and 13. So if you think you are standing firm, some of us kid ourselves and think we do, be careful that you don't fall. And the word fall there is really wham. No temptation has seized you, snared you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Folks, we have a family in this church, and we have stories of people who have walked a long 10 steps away and fallen down hard, and they think they can't come back, but they have come back, and they're here with us today because we are together in this and believing God's power. Step one of the 12 steps is we admit we are powerless over fill in the blank, whatever you want to put in there. We admit we are powerless because our lives have become unmanageable. Surrender. He will not let you go beyond that which you are able, beyond that which you can bear. He will provide a way out. You can escape the snare so that you can stand up under it. The way out is like what we talked about last week. You've taken 10 steps in the opposite direction, you can come back. You have to walk over some carnage and a bloody path of brokenness. You just walked, but you're still moving in the right direction. We are still moving in the right direction. I praise God for that in my own life because there are times that I myself, even now, want to walk back that way. I am addicted to myself, and I need to have this broken. There's this book that we read here at this church as a staff, No Perfect People Allowed. And John Burke is the pastor of Gateway Community Church in Austin, Texas. It's very similar to what I think we're becoming. But He says this about this subject because he has a lot of people that have come from brokenness and addictions to Christ. They still fall, but they still stand up and return. He's learned this. He says, oftentimes, the addict must come to the end of himself that usually happens only through a tremendous amount of pain. Christians often look at pain as bad, something we must always pray each other out of or help fix. But sometimes pain can be a friend if it drives us to the end of ourselves and into the arms of God. This means leaders must become comfortable letting people go through painful consequences at times. We can express sadness for the pain they are going through and lovingly support them, yet firmly point out about their behavior, the truth. Only then can we walk supportively with them when they're willing to get help. One of the greatest challenges with people is getting people to recovery has to do with the deceptive nature of addiction. On the one hand, the person has no power over the addiction. But on the other hand, her willingness to admit she's powerless keeps her stuck. Most addicts will try to avoid recovery meetings because pride tells them, I'm not one of them. In other words, there's this judgmental stigma placed on those people who go to recovery meetings even by those who are just as powerless. So the church can be a starting point for recovery. And I pray that we are. If we create a safe environment where people can admit brokenness, sometimes it requires intervention by friends or leaders to help a person see she is powerless and needs to get over her false pride of not being One of them. We have the resources here. And I want to make that known to you. We have lay counseling team that is ready to help you. All you have to do is call the office or email. I need someone to talk to. Our pastoral staff, not just Ken, all of us are able to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. We have small groups that you can trust. We have the resources here in our 12-step program. I pray that we will be able to see what it is that prevents us from walking, all of us, and to be vulnerable to each other so that we can reflect that character that Christ desires of us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have given us your word and you have, in a very real way, helped us to see ourselves We also thank you for the resources we have in other people, Lord, who have been through some things, who thought that it would be something that would benefit them and take away the rigor of brokenness, but even adds more to it and bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Lord, we ask that we will be open to you and vulnerable and rely on your power and your promise that you will not allow us to get to a point of no return. We thank you for that through Jesus in his name.